Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host Dave Adcock and this is part two of our conversation with Councillor Julie Stevenson. Just a reminder that our next guest will be Peterborough MP Paul Bristow and in October we'll be sitting down with leader of the Conservative group and head of the council, Councillor Wayne Fitzgerald. If you have any questions that you'd like me to put to either of them, or topics you'd like us to discuss, then send a tweet using the hashtag politicspeterborough, or send us an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. On with the show. Now, one of the particular issues that residents have faced uh, in Walton Warville has been uh, car drifting, something that I know you've been working on for five years or more since you've been a parish councillor. Um... The council installed speed reduction ramps uh, at the end of June, but within a week they were were ripped out uh, by those involved. Uh, They have now been reinstated, but do you think this was the case of the council trying to resolve the problem on the cheap? Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's all experimental. So we can only put them in to see what happens. The the people, call them people who are doing the drifting, um, there's a criminal element there and they're mechanics. So they're going to have all kinds of equipment there because they're changing wheels and changing tyres in situ. So, okay, the first attempt, yes, they managed to get them up. The second, the second attempt, they haven't. They haven't got them up. We've now got a fresh issue. They've moved to a nearby street. But now we know those measures work. We need to get them installed in that street. And people are saying to me, but yes, doesn't that mean they go to the next street, the next street? No, because they need a particular layout that they're looking for, which is afforded by a couple of streets at Orton Southgate um, Industrial Estate, which is near to here, within my ward. Um, And then they'll go somewhere else where they get what they need because they need something specific. People need to understand, you know, people can drift a car out any roundabout on any road. You can't stop that any more than you can stop someone doing a wheelie with a baby on the back, you know. Uh, if they're not caught doing it, they're not caught doing it. Um, but what we're trying to stop is these big events where it's going on for hours and hours and hours. There is a lot of destruction um, of local businesses, property. It's disturbing um, residents who are not getting to sleep. And people are getting injured and on virtually every occasion in Peterborough, the people getting injured are um, bystanders. It's not the people driving the cars. And we recently had a young woman um, here at Orton Southgate and she's broke, broken her hip being run over. Um, I don't want that happening. I don't care why she's there. You know, she's there enjoying a hobby, whatever. What I don't want is her being injured and I'm very glad she wasn't killed. Um, and that could happen. It could happen if we don't stop this because there's nobody marshalling it and making it safe. And we have spoken a lot to those involved. There's two separate factions, I suppose. There's the car cruises, which are static events where people come look at each other's cars. We've got no problems with that. The problem is what comes with, and that needs to have some kind of security marshalling. And it doesn't because it, it's a bit underground. It's a bit like the old grave scene. It's, it's a bit like that. And I'm not a killjoy. I understand why people do this. The problem is where they're doing it is very close to very dense residential housing. That's the problem. That's what we need to stop because it's not fair. They need to do it somewhere where they're safe and where other people are safe. And that's what we're trying to achieve. So it's a major step forward getting that stopped in Staple Road, I cannot tell you. Unfortunately, it gets reported in a certain way, doesn't it? Um, it gets reported as other council money being wasted. That council money wasn't wasted if we found the solution and it's working. Uh, and now we just need to, to repeat it where we need to. 
but also there's other stuff going on that we don't necessarily talk about um, for kind of obvious reasons. I have to be careful um, what we talk about publicly, but the police are very much involved and there are other agencies involved. Um, and I know more than I ever say um, in public as I'm about community safety. That's my number one thing. So I, I have to say to residents, I know it's awful. I'm Every night you're up with it, I'm up with it. Bear with us if you can. I'm doing everything I can to get this resolved. And it's one of the issues that has inspired me to stay on as a councillor um, all this time is because I don't want to let this one go and for people to be let down. I've been working on this for six years. I've got recordings of me from six years ago talking on the radio about it. It's taken this long to get the right people around the table. And we've done it with the help of other councillors, particularly Councillor um, Coles, a Conservative councillor, and Councillor Hogg, a Liberal Democrat councillor, whose help has been absolutely instrumental in this. I just happen to chair, um, chair the group now. Um, so please, yeah, bear with us. Don't give up. Do you think you've had enough support from the police? Um, difficult question to answer. I'm sure the police would, would give me all the support that they could. It's resources and it's political. It, it goes right up to the top of the political tree. The, the police are under-resourced and that's just how it is. Um, and the police would always say to me, oh, Julie, you know, do you want us to not attend you know, something more serious where there's life at risk, immediate life at risk? Of course, I don't want them to not attend things where life's at risk. I want both things to be considered. I want community policing as well as uh, responding to things that are happening in the moment. So it's really, really difficult. And I do meet with the police frequently. They know what I'm frustrated about and why. I think the 101 system of reporting things to the police is broken. I think everything is broken. Um, but it is broken. It's not working. It's not serving residents. Um, and that's what it's for. So they're just wasting their time if it's not recording what it's supposed to be or it's the system is down, as it was on Saturday night, uh, and no one can report anything in. That doesn't mean there's incident didn't happen. It doesn't mean they couldn't be recorded. And then the police will say to me, oh, we, couldn't, we didn't come because there weren't enough calls in. Well, you couldn't make any calls because the system was down. So, you know, to me, that's incredibly frustrating. I know residents get frustrated as well. So could they do more? Of course they could if they had more resources. But they're having to make difficult decisions, and I appreciate that. A significant portion of Ferry Meadows falls within your ward, uh, including the planned site for the Olympic Standard Climbing Wall, against which there have been a significant outcry. What are your thoughts on the development? There was a significant outcry about that. A lot of that outcry was not from people in the ward. It's the same with the redevelopment that's planned for the showground. You've got our local residents and how they're affected and they're the people that I'm elected to serve. And then you've got people elsewhere in the city and then if it's a controversial issue, I suppose, like the climbing wars, the rest of the country, if not the world. So you're having it's a difficult balancing act there. Um, from our residents' point of view, I, I said all along that people, some people wanted it and some people don't. You know, when it comes to that climb wall, some people want it, some people don't. The people who don't want it know why they don't want it, have very strong feelings about it. They don't like the idea of Ferry Meadows changing from the Ferry Meadows that they know. Many of the people who live, let's, let's say, Orton Wistow, uh, it's effectively, Ferry Meadows is effectively their back garden and it's been there since they've been there. 
since their houses have been there. So I completely understand and sympathise with their feelings about it changing and the possible introduction of traffic and that more traffic that concerns me as well because I don't think our road infrastructure is up to it, quite frankly. So I absolutely understand their concerns. I also understand why people do want it because they want things to be um, developed in a positive way that give young people an opp- opportunity, more opportunities than they have now. We don't have enough here for young people, and we complain all the time about ASB, antisocial behaviour, that happens that involves young people around here. So we need to be providing things for young people to do. So there's arguments on both sides for those things. In the end, um, we decided, this is when I was with the Green Party, we decided to speak against it at full planning, at the meeting of um, the planning committee. Um, but it went through. It's gone through anyway. The work hasn't started as yet on it. And that's the thing with planning. Um, it's planning permission, but it doesn't mean the, the thing's actually they started the work yet. I think they might start some work on the car park as yet. Um, you know, I sympathise with both sides. As a councillor, what I tried to do during that was make sure everybody knew how to be involved um, in the process of submitting comments to the council so they were involved. We'll just have to see what goes on with this because the plat planning was granted, but there's going to be a lot more to this story as it rolls forward because the passage of time, we're in a different world now, pandemic, um, cost of living, people having difficulty getting hold of building materials in order to construct things, costs going up, we're in a different world. So this isn't over, so let's see what happens and I'll see what kind of role we as councillors need to play. Throughout the process of it to date, um, as well as giving information to residents in the form of leaflets, we encouraged um, Lean Park Trust to hold open events so that residents could go along and hear what's happening. Um, And I would still encourage that and I would always encourage that and make ourselves available. But you're always going to have people who don't agree. It's not like a few years before there was a plan to was submitted to create an access road between Lynchwood and and it was very clear that was not a good plan and residents didn't want it and I called a public meeting and usually you'd expect what 12 people 650 people turned up it was crazy I think the World Cup was on as well but England weren't playing that night it was crazy and it just shows that when it's an issue that affects people's way of life they will come out for it Um, so that was incredible but that was more cut and dried whereas this is not cut and dried and it's going to be the same with the showground there's going to be people that feel differently and you've got some of us who actually live on it so we bought this thinking it wouldn't be developed and now it's going to be and how do we all we all feel um about that so it's a difficult one it's one of the challenges you'll have as a councillor is do i take a particular um position on this or is my position to make sure that everybody can contribute and everybody knows about it? And sometimes that's the position I'll take and other times the position I take will be more one way or another. So with with this kind of situation, are you as a councillor led by the feeling within your ward or are there situations where it's a, a personal feeling, even if perhaps the, the general feeling in the ward is different? Mm-hmm. Would you always be led by the, the residents? It's never a personal feeling, but it, there might be a political feeling. So that's the difference between my being independent and being in a political party. Obviously, 
a party like the Green Party stands for a certain amount of uh, certain principles, as as do all parties, I suppose. Um, but as an independent, to me, it's clear I am now here to um, reflect the views of our residents. And it's, so that is kind of clearer to me, actually, by being independent of that. But my own views don't come into it. But that goes down to everything I do, a casework. You know, when I, I've always said to, you know, when we had new people coming through the councils we have now, you know, you, you have to suspend judgment. It's really important you suspend judgment when you're um, a councillor. And when people ring me for help with something, my personal feeling doesn't come into it. My judgment is what's the best thing to do to achieve the best outcome in this situation, not should I or should I not help that person. Um, so for me, this is more comfortable territory being independent because there's always, when you're in any sort of party, I'm trying to think of an example to give you when I was with the Greens where it was kind of tricky, nothing's... Maybe the climbing walls, maybe one of them, maybe some of the arguments around green green space is an inter- interesting one. Um, one of the challenges we have here in um, Waterville Ward is we have a lot of illegal encampments, a lot of unauthorised encampments on green space. So do what do we do about that? Because it really means we end up putting up protections that are limiting the green space because they've got protections on the Mavison in Lynchwood you come around all those great big broken white rocks I didn't like those when they went in um so sometimes it's like you do what's best for people now or are you doing what's best for the planet it's those sorts of arguments which are kind of interesting to have but as an independent I think it's it's I think it's easy I think it's easier <laughs> I think it is I think it's just listening to what people want and um helping them achieve their wishes you've lobbying a campaigner for the rights of people with disabilities is peterborough a disability friendly city i'm really sad with the way things are going in peterborough because it was a city it was a great city when i first moved here in 2003 maybe i see it through a different lens having been a councillor here i don't know i mean i had a famous showdown with kingdom in the cathedral square couple of years ago that led to them being axed um, because they were trying to stop young people from protesting about climate change and I, I don't think that's what they should be doing so uh, it's you know I care about those sorts of things the, there isn't doesn't seem to be much understanding and where there isn't much understanding about disabled people's needs that's when you start to get a failure in meeting those needs um, accessible toilets is something that I think would help in Peterborough um, because people will come, people will go somewhere where they know their basic needs are going to be met, their basic human needs. Well, I'll be able to go to the loo and we'll be able to go and sit down somewhere nice and have a drink. And when we lost John Lewis, that was that was a catastrophe because those toilets, you know, that's probably why we lost it. Uh, we should have been buying things when we were in there, not just using the loo. But because the, the toilets were safe and clean, you had no qualms about going in there. Um so I, you know, I'm I'm frustrated that for a city that is essentially flat, that we're not more accessible, and that we let Milton Keynes carry that crown. I don't feel we carry the crown for anything. It is a shame we don't really, you know, you go up to Ironbridge and places like that, you see them celebrating their industrial history, and we could be celebrating bricks here. We could be celebrating sugar beet. We could be celebrating mustard. All sorts of things, and I just feel we have a cathedral you can barely see because it's so built up around it now and um 
you know it, it's a shame so I guess for me disability is so much a part of my experience of being human it, it gets wrapped up in all of that stuff I want a city that's interesting and vibrant that I can use every part of and I think we've lost our way Councillor Brian Tyler of Gunthorpe Ward uh, was last month appointed to the post of Disabilities and Older People Advisor with the aim of building, quote, a new network of organisations who work with disabled and older residents, their carers and family members, end quote. Is this a step in the right direction? It remains to be seen. He was off with that post a year ago and didn't want to take it. So he's obviously, I mean, he was new then, new councillor then, to be fair. It's difficult, isn't it? Because when anything like that comes out of the administration, the administration appoints one of its own and doesn't even speak to me at all, at all. I'm not asking to be offered a position, just, you know, a sentence, maybe. It makes me a bit cynical about why. I hope he's not going to be used as a human shield. I hope he's going to have a voice and have power and be able to do things and he'll need budget in order to do things. So I hope he'll be empowered in that role. Um, because he is very, very capable and experienced, and um, you know, I wish him, I wish him the best with it. But I always fear with those sorts of posters. I would at national level, what are they there for? Are they just there to deflect and control, or are they there to actually enable, make good things happen for the city? It, it, it's a funny business. I've been kicked off the Equalities Group twice now at the council. <laughs> um, I was kicked off the first time because. Um, councillor um Fitzgerald the council leader decided it it was had to be politically proportionate and so the greens couldn't have a seat but I I persuaded him otherwise and now I'm independent I got kicked off again but and I've written to the CEO and said look you know I'm just saying it's it's a bit sad that with my experience of disability it's a bit like I was saying about the green party earlier I have all this experience and you can use it but you won't let me. You won't let me on groups. You keep kicking me off groups, um, and it's a shame because I've done nothing wrong. I've not brought the city into disrepute or caused any harm here. It's just your system is not allowing me to contribute. So it's a shame. But but Councillor Tyler has not been in touch with me. Perhaps he will, um, because Councillor Fox, uh, John Fox, does an awful lot around disability as well. He really does. Uh, he's been amazing, particularly around campaigning for the hydrotherapy pool. Um, and I've sort of been in the background there a bit. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. But my, my heart, from my experience as a disability rights campaigner within the voluntary sector, says I don't have high, high hopes. So come on, prove me wrong. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, St George's hydrotherapy pool. Obviously, the decision to close it was confirmed at the July full council meeting, uh, despite an impassioned plea from Karen Oldale on behalf of users. Do you agree with uh, Councillor Hogg of the Lib Dems when he said, quote, this episode is an embarrassment to Peterborough City Council, tarnishes our uh, reputation and lets down the residents? I 100% support Councillor Hogg with those words, 100%. Um, you, You will hear the administration say, oh, but it's not a statutory service, therefore we don't need to fund it. But I think there should be some services that are sacred or what are we here for? You know, all the policies that we have, all the rules that we have for the way we do things, we humans wrote that stuff uh, and we can change it. And although I do understand that it should be an NHS service, the fact is the NHS is not going to pick it up. So what can we as a council do for our disabled residents to make their lives worth living? Um, We can do this 
and we're not doing it and it's embarrassing it's horrific I had a speech that had some quite strong words in it um that I didn't deliver at full council because councillor fox withdrew his motion what's going on um that I may deliver at another time but uh, you know something I didn't say in it which, which again is very strong words um is when you start creating a situation where disabled people can't live in a city because the services that they need to do so successfully are not there, what what are you doing? And, you know, we talk about um, cleansing, we talk about uh, genocide, what are we doing if we're making a city hostile towards disabled people? I don't like using those words outside of, uh, I think they need to be protected words for other situations, but... You know, it's less than 100 years since disabled people were being um, victimised for being disabled in other countries, um, other European countries. That's not that long ago. We must protect disabled people. We must show that we value every disabled person's life. And what we're trying to do here with the hydrotherapy is help people to be as well as they can be and to recover from any injury as quickly as they can so that they can become fully economically active to the extent that they can as quickly as possible, which means they won't be turning to the council for support. Karen Oldell, bless her, has stated this over and over and over and over. The council's not listening or it's not prepared to change its position. It's not going to change its position. I'm not going to speculate as to why. Uh, but it, but it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And it's, it's, it has poured shame on Peterborough. And it is an embarrassment. It makes people like me wonder what's the point, um, you know, of being a councillor. Should I stay in this city? Because this is horrible and it, it's embarrassing. I hope residents will realise they can vote for something different. Looking at the council as it is now, do you think it's possible to work together as a whole for the good of city or has it become too fractured? I think it's difficult at the moment. Politics in Peterborough is very personality driven. It really is. And I don't know what goes on inside the administration. I only see what I see. I observe what I observe. And that seems to be a very few of their number actually saying anything if you look at any full council meeting how many of them are actually saying anything so i don't know what's going on there we try i i hand on heart over the past year while i was group leader for the greens we tried really hard to work with the administration we being the opposition the opposition councillors so um Warrington first is now Peterborough first um, Labour Lib Dems and the Greens we went to so many of those meetings when we were at those meetings we weren't serving our wards we weren't here Um, so that was a lot of time that was sacrificed for going to those meetings didn't make any difference whatsoever I'm not sure um, that it did I'm not sure that things we say were ever really taken on board that were ever really listened to I certainly didn't come out that way feeling like that. I mean, I um, decided, you know, obviously I've left the Green Party, I'm no longer group leader. And that just means I don't go to those meetings, you know. It's the system. It's the system. It, it puts a poli- particular political party in control and they don't want to relinquish that control because they believe they have a mandate because the number of councillors that they have, and that's the system. So, you know, I just make the difference I can, which may be around the edges, to be honest, but I make a big difference in my ward um, because people tell me I do every day and residents will say something to that effect, which I really appreciate and keeps me motivated. But we're in a particular place now. When we have elections again, things may change. People come and go. 
Um, if you think about national politics, it's only really a couple of years and then all the cards shuffle again, you get cabinet shuffles, you get different people um, in charge. So, And that can really change things. So, But I, currently I can't see anything improving until there's a change of people. So there is currently a public consultation going on to get the public's thoughts on moving the council to an all-out election model, uh, which would mean electing the entire council every four years rather than a third of it each year and then a year off. Which way do you think would be better for the city? I think there's pros and cons to that. If you have an all-out every four years, I think it's you might end up with a lot of by-elections, actually, which may end up costing the council just as much as if they kept with the old system, because this is about money. It's about money and stability. I know there's, there's a belief that central government has that it will give, it will make it less kind of um, combative if it's people aren't focused on politics. People will always be focused on politics. I don't think that will change at all. Um, the thing is as well, if you go to All Out, you're going to get some political upset with the voting. Because when you go to all outs, you get three votes. The residents get three votes, but electors get three votes. What if they only use one or two? What happens then? You know, you can end up with some funny results. And also people may, I mean, you know, for for example, for the Greens, what could happen if they vote for a three greens are up and they vote for residents decide to vote for two and then try something different someone could lose their seat unexpectedly it, it's it just makes things a little bit wild that that all-out system because of the way that people vote uh, or understand the system so there's risk i would say there's risk coming from that you could have some real upset that you're then stuck with for four years if residents didn't want that EU ref and all that you know you, you, these things have, have serious consequences messing about with the system I agree the system is broken um, but if we stick to all outs I'm sorry if we stick to the system that we have now it's exhausting because you're constantly in this election cycle if you're within a political party the other thing with this the, the all outs it means every party will need to find 60 candidates all at once they won't I don't think any of the parties in this city can not without a real help um, because unlike the um, from their parties, because unlike when you've got MPs, you can airdrop people in from other parts of the country. You can't. Um, they have to move here and they have to be living here for a certain amount of time to be eligible uh, or work here for a certain amount of time to be eligible um, to be councillors. So I don't know what would happen if you might get more independence it might be a good thing I don't I don't know but I, I've said on my social media I'm trying to get residents to understand this is a bigger deal than they might think it is this could cause some real upset to the status quo and that may be what people want or it, it may not be um, for me I'm expecting I'm on a four-year term that I'm expecting to end in 2026 I think it probably will go to all outs and that could be in 23 or 24. Um, I think if it's um, 24, we could see some we could see some upsets because I'm expecting those who are thinking about their election, if they're up for re-election in 23, they'll already be working for months. They'll have been working. They should have um, to get re-elected. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. But do I think it will achieve the goal of making us all play better together? No, I do not. 
<laughs> I think that will continue and probably more aggressively if we're all stuck with each other for four years with no hope of getting getting away from certain individuals. I think that's a reality, unfortunately. Now, just before we move on to talking about a couple of uh, national issues, before we started recording, you, you mentioned you had an issue with a, a thread that I'd put on Twitter a little while back um, following Councillor Skipstead's move to the Green Party. Um, I think from memory I put in it that it might have been a good thing for the Conservatives because it would potentially split the vote on the left, uh, which could result in, in the Conservative candidate having an easier time of it. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think uh, not so much a criticism, but there's more to it. There is more to that situation. So Waterville and Longville next to each other, Waterville, and they couldn't be more different at the moment. And we've discussed at length how this ward turned green, what it took to turn this ward green. We have made several, we, the Greens, made several attempts uh, to get um, a councillor in at Longville, and they've all failed and by quite a long way. Um, in 2019, something interesting happened. So Longville has been, uh, it's either blue or it's UKIP. It's either Conservative or it's, it's, it's been UKIP. UKIP obviously not, not a thing so much anymore. Um, it's Conservative. Now, what happened in 2019? So in 2018, I was elected in Autumn Waterville. The candidate that um sorry the the incumbent who lost the seat um then stood in a by-election that summer in Orton Longville and was elected there um so only actually had nine months there until the 2019 elections and in 2019 the Greens stood a lady called Sharon Bellamy who's fantastic she runs a, a website called Orton Sellers and stuff everybody knows her everybody knows her in Orton she stood for the Greens and she was really good and she did really, really well. But even with Sharon, we couldn't, we, the Greens, couldn't do enough to win. But what we did do enough of was take from that Conservative vote because Councillor Skibstead for Labour won that by about 30, 30 votes. As a street, basically a street, tiny, absolutely tiny margin and that, if I believe that that's because of the impact of the green candidate, the green can greens tend to take from conservative, not from Labour. That people often mistake that. No, it's it's from conservative. Now that's not going to be the case. You, I ex- fully expect, and we'll see what happens. But I would expect that seat to go blue, because I think it's natural settling point is blue and also I think the Greens and and Labour will split that vote unless they can come to some kind of arrangement which they can't because Labour can't they're not allowed to so the only possible arrangement would be the Greens not standing and as Councillor Skibbs said just came across from Labour's Greens I shouldn't imagine she's interested in not standing unless she stands in a different ward you know there's possibilities to do that so the, the thing is with Orton Longville and I've done up there I, I know that ward I've leafleted there, it's huge. Um, it's very divided. You've got the people who, who vote, who are in the more affluent area, and you've got a huge amount of social housing and people tend not to vote there. And unless you can inspire these people who don't vote to vote and these people who do vote to change, that's you, you're not going to be successful. And I don't know how you do that with a candidate that's just what parties from red to green. I don't know how you do that. 
not saying it's impossible it's quite exciting but I don't that's hard that's really difficult so we'll see but my expectation looking at the numbers looking at how so this year 2022 um councillor uh, Burton Michael Burton he's I hope you'll forgive me saying so he's unknown and he won that seat um it was a, it was a, a conservative hold from um councillor Walsh who stepped down and in the year previous to that, it was Councillor Casey, who was wildly popular, who won, you know, by country miles. So I, I just think you have to look at the figures in a really cold way. And when you do, it looks like a blue win from where I'm sitting. But let's see. I mean, if Councillor Skibstead for the Greens can, you know turn it around and really impress the electorate and increase the the turnout there which is crucial because we have a real problem at Waterville with that as well but you're across the city um then she'll be successful I wish her the best with it but I think that's that's a mountain to climb In 2019, you took part in an Extinction Rebellion funeral procession through the city centre. Do you agree with the tactics that they use in drawing attention to climate change? I think sometimes their tactics are absolutely fine. Um, I can understand why people get frustrated with them sometimes, particularly when they disrupt, disrupt transport, for example. But at the same time, don't we have to look at the bigger picture here about what they're trying to save, which is the planet? Um, so I have... you know. I was quite happy to go out with them on that particular event. I know they were involved in an event commemorating the felling of the tree in Breton, the big oak tree. I can't help but look back to the suffragettes. The suffragettes were not a peaceful movement, far from it. They were all about bombing and, as they said, um, D's not words. Um, we have to bear that in mind when we're trying to make social change. I'm not condoning violence and that's not what Extinction Rebellion are about as well. I'm not a member of Extinction Rebellion. Um, incidentally um, but I think we have to just have some perspective on what they're doing and, and why they're doing it as well and they're doing it for the interest of the planet and, and that's actually the planet for the human race because when we're wiped out I'm quite sure the planet will keep going it's the flooding that's extremely worrying that's affecting third world countries far more than here we had a taste of some hot weather um, and it was just a couple of days of hot weather. Um, but when we start experiencing the flooding to the degree that would be predicted if we don't do something about this, um, isn't it right that people are kicking up kicking up a fuss about it? So, Do you think it's possible for political parties to tell the public the truth and still win power? Well, we're all asked to adhere to the Nolan principles in a your conduct in public life which one of which is to be honest which is to tell the truth and that's important to me all of those principles are important to me to tell the truth sometimes telling the truth and openness is difficult if it causes risk and that can happen more quickly than you might imagine um, I often say to people I see my role principally as a counsellor um, of keeping the peace um, but at the same time, you know, telling the truth and being honest are really important. Um, national politics is just so different to local. I mean, at the moment, it feels like we've got a government that will cling to power no matter what. And that's awful. And, and again, it comes back to the system being broken. It shouldn't enable that. We've got a system that enables 
this. How on earth we've ended up with the current, at the time of speaking, Prime Minister is ridiculous. But you have to imagine that there are higher powers that want that. At least that's what I imagine um, to be the case. It, it's it's a shame because it does rumble down to local level. I keep reading comments on social media about, um, oh, you councillors have got your nose in the trough. What trough? Where is this trough? It, it, things like that are just, they're not true and they're unhelpful. Um, I've never... You know, when we don't have it, it's not a wage. It's your you have an allowance which is to compensate you for your time, which amounts to it's just over ten thousand a year. I've never been on ten thousand a year in my life, in my entire life. Um, it, it, there's no trough there for the majority of councillors. If you're a cabinet member at that senior level, then there is your allowance is larger. But there's this awful perception of us backhanders. You know, I've never seen that. You know, to be honest, I haven't never seen it. I'm not saying I, I know that it doesn't go on. I'm just saying I've never seen it. Um, and it just, it's become as if that's the truth. That's not the truth. I mean, my every day, and I, I try and share on social media, that is my every day. It's long hours, helping people where I can, sharing as, as much as I can. And, and I try very hard to be as open as possible and of course truthful and at the same time we're very conscious that with social media anything we say or do can end up on social media with a, a bigger audience than might be intended or that we might have reasonably expected 40 years ago I think that's a big change um, for councillors and, it, and it's difficult and we're not all talented with words or knowing to say the right thing at the right time or what the right thing is or being able to uh, control our emotions about things I and mean, I certainly get emotional in my counsellor life anger doesn't really come into it for me because that's just not the way I'm wired but for others perhaps it does so you know I think there's a lot of intent, intent for truth there but it's it's challenging because the system makes it challenging. Do you think the, the current setup of essentially amateur politicians at local level works would it work better if if we move to a professional politicians at local level where you know that is their job that that's all they do um obviously a lot of councillors have other roles and and bring those experiences into the council but obviously that perhaps limits the time that they're able to put into it you know if if we had properly paid positions that meant people were able to fully focus on that would that be a better thing or would we lose those skills that that people coming from different backgrounds bring to it it's, it's hard to say without trying that sort of thing i mean i'm i'm opera i operate with your definition there i operate as a professional i'm just paid as an amateur i.e <laughs> not paid um but i know that i'm unusual and it's my where i am in my life enables me to do that and my husband you know if my husband didn't agree to it and say yes we'll survive on my salary for as long as you want to be involved with this carry on um thank thank god for him saying that or you, you peterborough you would not have me if if he didn't enable me in that way and my my concern about all of this is other people like me so i couldn't work and do this that's the thing i think i keep trying to explain to other counselors as well this is a lifestyle choice i don't have a choice i can't haven't got the energy to work and do this to the level that I believe this being a counsellor should be done. 
I'd have to give up one or, or the other. And that's also a thing. We're thinking about my husband in mind. I have to think, you know, have I put him through enough of this for the past six years? Thankfully, he is very supportive of me doing this because he sees that it's worthwhile and he knows what sort of person I am, which is all about you know, serving the public. Um, but I think about people in all sorts of situations who would be great counsellors, but um, they need to afford to live. Um, they need to be able, they need to be enabled to be great counsellors. And that's people who've got childcare responsibilities, um, people who might be a carer for a partner, um, people who, like myself, a long-term condition or a disability, who for whatever reason can't do what we read about in the press with some MPs doing, have multiple jobs as well as, as doing this. So I would welcome it. I mean, I, I spoke to uh, an improvement panel at the council to help the council through this financial difficulty that's going through. And in my conversations with them, they they said, yeah, in Peterborough, your councillors are paid far too, well, are receiving an allowance that's far too low for what you do. It should be higher. Yet at the same time, we've got the council, the, the public have a different perception and don't think we should have any money at all. How are we supposed to survive? I, I don't know. And then we have the issue being used as a political football when it suits certain parties within the council chamber. And that, I have to say is where I, you asked me earlier about, you know, differences with the Greens, that's the difference I have. Um, I need money to live, it's just the reality, and I work very hard for this community, and it's a struggle, and I could do it for longer if I could better afford to do it, whereas my colleagues seem to take a different view, that they don't need the allowances, well, great, you've got jobs, Um, my former colleagues, I should say, um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult one because there's that public perception versus the reality. And the reality is, who's going to pay the mortgage? I mean, I guess I, I go back to my previous question as if someone came in and said, you know, I want you to vote for me as councillor. What I'm going to do when I get in is I'm going to raise the allowance from 10,000 for a councillor to 40,000 mm-hmm. per councillor. People aren't going to vote for that because they're going to think suddenly we're going to have to pay a hundreds of thousands of pounds extra Actually, the, the situation might get better because of that, but people just see the pound signs. So if people want to be told the truth, they have to be prepared to vote based on that and not just accept that, oh, yeah, we, we can do what we're currently doing with, with the £10,000 allowance and we can get the quality of councillor that we need. I guess it, it comes back to will people vote for that? Would people vote for that? I, I don't think they would. Do you mean would people vote or not vote? Because it, no one would come forward with that because you're not in a position to offer that because you don't have that power. So you can't. And we already have these arguments about people often, you know, what is your uh, manifesto or what do you stand when you when you stand? And my manifesto has always been the things I've mentioned before. Hard work, availability, accessibility, all year round communication. That that's those are those are things people want from me. I've never offered apart from those things a single thing haven't offered a single thing other than to be this person and just to continue being this person. Someone couldn't come in and make a statement like the one you suggested because they're not in the position to deliver that. That would take so much so much time um, to come together and and do that. We do have a, like, um, I don't know what it's called, pay review panel, something like that, every couple of years, every year or so maybe, where we are asked about councillor pay and I have been group leader for three years when I was with the Greens so I was asked interviewed by them 
and I consistently gave them my my opinion, which was that you know yeah it should be increased, and I am not the only councillor by a long chalk who feels so for the reasons that you know we've discussed. You've you've got to live, and we work extremely hard. Perhaps we're not looking at this right. Perhaps we need. Well, what we do need is something else I've been involved with um, at the council, which is we need um, a better disciplinary system. At the moment, as a councillor, you can basically do whatever you like, I think, including go to prison, and you'll still be a councillor until the next election when the public votes. So there's no disciplinary at all. So no wonder there's there's bad behaviour or disappointing behaviour that lets the rest of us down, because... If I decided to come out right now with a load of expletives and tell you a load of lies about another councillor, what would happen? Nothing, unless apart from that councillor taking me through civil court, um, which is a you know possibility open to them. But how can that be right? We've got the Nolan principles telling us how to behave or how we should behave, which I think is quite right. But we don't. There's no mechanism. I was just on a. Um, we call them a task and finish group they're called within the council which is around councillor behaviour and how can we improve councillor behaviour particularly in the council chamber and what we we concluded was we can't do anything to improve it because there's no mechanism how can that be right it's absolutely crazy you know I've seen some appalling behaviour I've seen middle fingers raised swearing and um, people being struck how's that okay and it brings if it's if it's observed by the press you know the public gets to know about it and it's absolutely shameful and but with nothing in there it's any kind of um punishment or disincentive and if someone gets voted through it's, it's a funny business when you um you know when you go for a job you have to jump through all these hoops don't you but when you are elected sometimes you might be elected it doesn't matter what your character is if you're in a particular party because this weird system we have for local government that I don't think works, I think is broken. And you can have someone who's a lovely, genuine person, works really hard, but they're an independent and they've never, they're unknown and they haven't got the backing, they haven't got a team delivering leaflets for them or the money to create those leaflets, which are really the two key things you need. They, don't, they haven't got a chance. How's that right? To me, it's, it's, it's not. It's not serving the people of Peterborough. Um, I, I say, and I'm half joking, that to succeed in politics, you have to be a sociopath. It, it feels that way sometimes. You need to be really either incredibly strong or you need to just really not give a damn what people think about you. And I don't think someone who doesn't care or is so dissociated from their emotions, sh- you know, should be making, will be making a particularly good counsellor. I think you, what I've found in Orton Waterville is having that emotional connection with my residents plenty of residents in me crying plenty you know plenty of shared my joy and that's what kind of brings us together in that sense that I belong to them we've been on a a journey together and they think what they like but but they know that I care they know that and it's important to them and I think that they deserve that and I know in other places there's none of that and they don't know them see them or whatever so but you know the system is is all wrong what can you do we're recording this on the day after the Lioness's remarkable achievement of winning the European Championships in front of a record crowd for a UEFA Championship final, either for men or women. Does this feel like it could be a, a turning point for women's sport or even for women in society? It's very interesting to make those um, those comparisons because I, I was thinking all this when I was watching the final. I was thinking, you know, this is interesting watching this team interact with each other towards a common goal. Of course, with a sport, it's it's a specific singular goal, isn't it? It's to win that match and then the next and the next. 
um, whereas things are more complicated, I think, in, in the rest of life. And people have their personal um, ambitions as well. It, it's just more complicated. As I've, um, with the mentoring that I've done that I did for the university and also since, it's not, not, ex- not exclusively, but it's mostly women that I mentor. So it, it's because they gravitate towards me more, I guess. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting observing the complexity of, of, of women and what we bring really really interesting and everything about their celebrations yesterday was interesting to me um and the way they supported each other was really interesting interesting to me but that's not uniform we if we look at the example of margaret thatcher former prime minister you wouldn't call her a champion for women would you she succeeded to that role as as a, a woman but you wouldn't call her a champion for women i think anybody would um, do that or it's not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about that person so um, I think as women we have a responsibility to each other certainly in my journey with the Greens I wanted to bring women through I brought two women councillors through and I'm proud of that and you know more power to their elbow I hope they go on to succeed um, as women our lives are different our bodies are different we are the bearers of children and that makes us different we have to make different choices um within the societies that we live um because of that we're just in a different place but we also bring different qualities because of the way that we're raised which i find very interesting i worked um for a long time when i worked for rib it was in it it was in digital very male dominated particularly back then um and i was always very clear of my um I was always very sure of my ability, my right to be there. And I think that's what the lionesses of, of um, Hammered Home, the, there's a right for women to be there. What's been missing, of course, has been, uh, as has been said, it's been the backing of their sport, stadiums not wanting to host their matches because they didn't think that they'd get the, the turnstile numbers and all that sort of thing, sponsorship and all of that. So it's this bigger, bigger picture. Um, these things come and go in waves, Probably when the vote was given to women, which was not just as a result of suffragettes, the war had a lot to do with it as well. People might have thought, well, now, hurrah, equality for women is achieved. Yet here we are just coming through, you know, this Me Too movement and we're having opening our eyes to how in many ways women are not at all equal and there's terrible suffering uh, going on everywhere. So I think I think it undulates. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I certainly found it um, exciting because these are women of a you know different generation to myself, and it's interesting to see their interactions with each other and think you know we have come on a lot when I was first working in well early nineties you know I was one of very few women on the tube to work in the morning, and men just didn't want to give up a seat to me or or move their newspaper to let me sit down or anything like that, that was a very much of you're not welcome vibe. This sounds ridiculous now. So we really have moved forward. But um, we'll see. I think we tend to go two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward with things. So, yeah, let's see where we are in a year with that. So we like to um, finish off on the podcast with some quick fire questions. Uh, yeah, Shaz warned me about <laughs> uh, So first of all, um, if you had control of the council tomorrow, what are the first three changes that you'd make? Well, we opened the hydrotherapy pool, um, obviously. We would 
need to do more about the things I've been complaining about, which is make more of a representation to central government about not having any powers with any of the disciplinary type of stuff, because I do think that's a big problem. And third thing we would, I would change would be, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to, I feel there's a big gap where it's a bit lonely. I mean, I say that as a as an independent, but I've had a four years under my belt at the council, so I do know people, but I think we could do more that helps with the camaraderie. And I don't think having four year um, all out elections is is the answer or the or the whole answer to that. I think we need to do more to treat each other um, more like human beings um, than we're encouraged to do under the current system. What's been your biggest success as a councillor to date? I would say from a resident's point of view is probably when we prevented um, an access road from being built between Orton Worcester, Worcester Way and um, Lynchwood because I think that stays in a lot of people's minds as an example of a councillor's involvement as being quite important to an outcome and my involvement there was bringing people together so it felt that it was a movement and we were all doing um, those sorts of things together but of course you know my greatest success is being there at all um, as a green because there had never been one and people said there never could be one and not only have I proved that there could but you know three green councillors on the bounce and then getting re-elected with the sort of numbers um, I was able to achieve is an incredible achievement Um, it's not to everyone's taste which is why it's not as celebrated as perhaps I think it ought to be because it was a huge achievement but um, when we've all calmed down a bit, uh, I hope we look back in history and realise, wow, that, that was incredible that that happened because it just didn't seem like it was possible. And your biggest failure? Hmm. It's hard to say what biggest failure is while I'm still doing it <laughs> because it may be yet to come. It might not have happened yet. Biggest failure as a counsellor. I mean, there's things I'm working on that are ongoing, so they're going to take time. Um, to do those things when we talked about the drifting earlier that is it's going to take time I don't I don't look at that and think at any point that I failed in it it just takes a long time um, to get things done get people around the table that's a that's a difficult question to answer because you go into job interviews and you usually you're prepared for that one I don't know maybe I stayed too long with the greens or maybe I didn't I don't know I think you know history history will have to judge me on that one Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss? Obviously neither, obviously. But I think it will be Liz, that the, because this is going to be voted for by the Conservative members now and it will be Liz, I should imagine. Do you think that's the better of the two? I think it, it, it's, it's no choice, is it? They're as bad as each other, as far as I'm concerned. So it, 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 you, can't, you can't differentiate between the two. As far as I'm concerned, you can't. Neither is capable. If you could recommend one place within your ward that the people of Peterborough should go to, what would it be? You know, I'm not going to say the obvious thing. I, I think the thing I would like more people to go to is come to parish council. You know, you may be thinking of that question in, in terms of, oh, you know, go to Ferry Meadows or go to the showground. But if you want to be involved in shaping this area where you live, your community where you live, parish council is where it happens. I'm also a parish councillor. I've been on the parish council for seven years. And the parish council does a lot um, the, the, the council does a lot too, but the parish council is responsible for some parts of um, our ward, our, our parish, responsible for maintaining them, and does an awful lot to look after the bits that you probably think are the lovely bits. 
um, of our area and you can get involved in that you come to parish council they will listen to you and they will do their best to resolve the issue that you have so um, you may not want to become a, a councillor but if you just want to do something positive for your local community come along to parish council very few people do um, hear what goes on and, and maybe contribute in some way or ask a question or, or give the parish councillor um, a challenge to address something um, and that makes everything better What's Peterborough's biggest strength? <laughs> People generally say it's its position in the in the country, and I have to say I agree. Being Scottish, it, I'm that bit closer to Scotland, living in Peterborough than when I lived in in London. So it, you know, its its transport links are a great strength. But as I've mentioned earlier, I don't think we make the best of our great strengths, which is our great history in the railways, in um, construction, in bricks in sugar beet mustard all all these things there's so much we have low self-esteem i feel as a city and we should be shouting about ourselves the way birmingham is shouting about itself now it's got the commonwealth games um we do have a lot of strengths but our thriving art scene for example i'm a huge champion of our of our art scene if you follow me on social media you will have seen i mean the room we're sitting in i know this is not visual but most of this is local artists Um, and I champion them and I invest um, in them I buy their work because I think it's important Um, and I think most people don't realise that it's there and they should and we should be proud of them Finally, what piece of advice would you give to anyone considering standing as a councillor? Other than don't (laughs) Well, you know, I wouldn't say don't but I would say understand what it is and what it isn't and understand if you do decide to go with a political party what that means and I don't don't mean that in terms of the green specifically I mean because I think there are quite a lot of people who are sitting councillors at the moment if you were to say to them you know what's your journey have you become a city councillor they, they were living their lives minding their own business and someone who was a city councillor came up to them and said oh do you want to be a city councillor probably in what was deemed a safe seat so they didn't even have to do any door knocking or canvassing and suddenly find themselves a city councillor and then find they're subjected to a whipping system and so can't vote with their heart, have to vote as they're told and can't speak in full council unless they're told they can do that. I would like people to understand that uh, and then see the difference between that and being independent or the difference between the different parties so they understand what they're joining. And I don't think people do. Look at the way I joined. You know, I joined never thinking. I didn't think the end of that would, would be being elected. I thought I'd take them forward. Um, but I didn't think it would be that. Um, it was, I've been a bit shell-shocked, a bit shell-shocked when I actually was elected, even though that's what we're trying to do, and it sounds weird. Um, so, a, a, you know, a, a great just to understand more about what it is. It, it's not... Uh, it is hard work if you do it properly, I would say, but it's also... It's varied and interesting, and if you're the sort of person who likes knowing everything that's going on, <laughs> um, being the one who know, you know, the person people come to then you know it's made it's made for you because you're gonna have to know that stuff and know off the top of your head what's what's going on with that house and you know where there's all these construction going on what's happening and what's happening about this development and um if you like being that person then you know it's absolutely made for you councillor stevenson thank you so much for your time today thank you And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Councillor Stevenson for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at C-L-L-R Julie S. 
Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get each episode as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Politics P-B-O-R-O. Please let us know what you thought of the episode. We'll also have a Politics of Peterborough discussion group on Facebook where you can discuss and debate any of the topics raised in this episode with other listeners. If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show or any questions you'd like us to put to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted and edited by me. Production and an audio recording by Darren Church. We'll see you next time.